0: Hello everybody, welcome to Parashat Kitisa. Right now, the entire world as we know it, finds itself at a time of crisis. Many of us feel really afraid and really uncertain about what the future holds. And during times of crisis, we often see, as we did in 9-11, for those of us who remember, we see those who step up as heroes, and we see those who kind of crouch down and bring out the worst in themselves. And I think our goal should be, of course, not only to be heroes for ourselves, but also to learn how to be heroes for other people, how to handle crisis in a way where we could look back and say, wow, we passed through that with flying colors and we grew from it. We took it as an opportunity to become better people, better Jews, better, better fathers, husbands, mothers, daughters, sons, whatever your status is. We took it as an opportunity for personal growth. And I think Parashat Ki is really unique among the Parshiyot and the Torah as it really encapsulates the greatest crisis that Am Yisrael pretty much has ever faced. And that is the sin of the golden calf. So I'd like to read through the text with you. And I'd like to see if we could maybe glean some of the lessons that are really timeless. Some of these lessons still apply just as much today. As they did at any time in Jewish history, especially at the time of Moshe. So let's dive in and see what we could make of the content. So we're going to begin in the end of Perak Lamid Aleph and Parashat Kitisa. So we'll begin. Right after B'nai Israel received the mitzvah of Shabbat, God gives to Moshe. When God was finished speaking with Moshe on the top of Harsinai, so basically Bnei Israel have reached the pinnacle of where we were supposed to be at as a nation. We built the Mishkan, we were in the process of receiving instruction for building a Mishkan, building a place where God could dwell in our midst, reaching spiritual heights we never imagined possible. And Moshe literally just received the tablets of stone. The tablets that are going to create a relationship between Bnei Israel and God that is unseen in the history of humanity and is supposed to be a groundbreaking and earth-shattering way for Bnei Israel to approach their relationship with the Divine. Like has never been previously in the ancient world. <laughs> and these are tablets of stone written with the finger of God. So I think this really applies to a lot of us today. We might have had business deals. We might have had uh, prospects. I, for myself, I I had this gigantic test that I've been studying, studying for, step one of the boards in medical school, and now it's been delayed by quite a bit. And you know what? It's a time of crisis for me and my classmates. But the question is, how are we going to respond? Are we going to respond with countering away from this challenge or are we going to take it as op- opportunity to receive from God this new Challenge and see it as a way to really grow. Let's continue. And now panic begins. Bene Israel see that Moshe is late. He is not coming down from the mountain in the time that they expected. And the entire nation gathers around Aharon. Everyone is in a panic and they go to the, the lay leadership at the time, who was Aharon, or rather the Kohen Gadol at the time. They say, please make for us a leader or a God. And I interpret that word in different ways because it appears in different contexts in the Torah. And I think it's supposed to be purposely ambiguous in the text as to whether or not it actually means a God or a leader. Like it says in Devarim, Do not curse out your leaders. That's the context of that. That will go before us. Because we don't know what happened to Moshe, and we need a new leader. So we're we're completely in the dark here, says Ben Yisrael. We don't know what to do. How do we handle a situation when we don't have any guidance? We it's kind of like the the road before us is darkness, and we need a way to continue. So what happens? Bene Israel unfortunately are reverting back instead of stepping up to the opportunity with fresh eyes and a new perspective and a new way of approaching our relationship with the divine Bene Israel reg- regress they fall backwards and they they return to their old patterns of behavior that they knew in Egypt namely idolatry namely Reverting back to practices that are not fitting for a nation who is called upon to be the nation of God and to be a light unto the nations. And Aharon is doing his best. What does he say? He has pretty much a brilliant plan. He says, "Take out the uh, jewelry from your wives and give and give them to me." And it really seems that Aharon Kohen was stalling here. He never expected the women to be able to, to give up their jewelry that easily. And he, he expected this entire process to really take a bit of time. He didn't expect everyone in unison to suddenly give up their jewelry. And he expected Moshe to come down in the meantime. But unfortunately... Because of the panic, because of the mob mentality, which sounds very familiar to what we're seeing today, the mob mentality unfortunately created a common goal for evil here. And everybody in unison gave their jewelry. And they brought it to Aharon And Aharon made it into a golden calf. And B'nei Israel said, Behold, this is your God, Israel. Or this is your leader, O Israel. That took you out of Egypt. So Aharon sees this and he builds an altar. Aharon sees this and immediately knee-jerk reaction. He says, this cannot be. We cannot allow ourselves to revert back to these old habits and back to the panic ways and back to these primitive ways of thinking. So he says, tomorrow will be a holiday of God. Let's seek spirituality out in a time of crisis, says Aaron. They get up the next morning and they start bringing korbanot. They start bringing all of these sacrifices, but they don't do it in a way that we would have expected for a people who just received the previous two parashiyot regarding the proper way of creating sacrifices for God in order to get closer to God. Rather, what do we see? <speaking in> B'nei <Hebrew> what do they do? They sit down to eat and drink. And they rose up to, to support themselves, says the English. Which pretty much means they acted in sexually immoral ways. B'nei Israel are regressing tremendously over here. Instead of acting like people who are really worthy of growth, worthy of becoming free people, since having been slaves, they go back to what they knew in Egypt. And God says to Moshe, God says to Moshe, go down, because your nation, has regressed. The people that you took out of Egypt. And God is almost throwing Bnei Israel's words back in the face of Moshe because he's saying, This is what Ben Yisrael think. They think I have nothing to do with them. They attributed you as their leader who took them out of Egypt. That's why they wanted to replace you with this. And I'm not even in the picture. They very quickly revered away from the, the straight path that I commanded them. You see people today. One little thing with coronavirus and people are running to the stores to hoard as much food as they can. People are acting selfishly. People are going out still in public even though it is really endangering the lives of other people. And they're getting in public with groups of people above 10, above the recommended limit by the CDC. So this is not proper behavior. This is, this is veering off the path of what you're commanded. It's a commandment by God. To be very careful with our lives and that health takes priority. But we regress in times of crisis. And what does God say? We created for ourselves a molten image. And he tells Moshe that Bene Israel have begun to worship it and they have attributed their success in getting out of Egypt to this molten image. And interestingly, we see God speaking to Moshe again, which means God there was a pause here. Moshe had to take this all in, he could barely believe what he was hearing. And now God says, this nation is a stiff-necked nation. They're stubborn. And God says, leave me. And let my anger consume them. He says, I'm going to make you, Moshe, into a great nation. So God right now is calling on Moshe. He's saying, Moshe, will you step up to the plate? Are you invested as a leader? In this people I think we could all take a lesson from Moshe how do we react in times of crisis when we see other people in our community not behaving properly not taking their lives seriously enough and the health of their loved ones seriously enough how do we respond and what do we see the first thing from Moshe Moshe and Moshe immediately begins to pray He says, God, why should you be angry at them? What do you mean, why should you be angry at them? Of course God's going to be angry with them. But Moshe is arguing this for the sake of his people. He doesn't care about justice right now. It's not about justice. It's about doing whatever he can to try to save his people. And he'll deal with the nuts and bolts of his argument later. He says, please, you invested in these people, God. I know, maybe, you know what, God? Maybe from the strict perspective of justice, these people deserve to be punished. But God, that's not the only way you operate. And we're going to see Moshe learn something new through this opportunity. Just like we could learn new things through our opportunity, Moshe is learning new things about God's attributes from this time of crisis. And what does he say? He says, God, you know what? I don't care about justice right now. Why should Egypt be able to say, Why should Egypt look at Bene Israel and say, Look, God destroyed them because they were not deserving of being His nation. Please, return from your anger. And you know what the Egyptians are going to say that you were not capable of taking us out of Egypt. How would that look on your name, God? It would be Ahilu Lashem. <laughs> Zichor L'Abraham L'Yitzhak says beyond that, says Moshe. You need to recall the covenant, to remember the people that began this entire journey. God, you you began with Adam and Havah and that failed. You continued with Kain and Evil and that failed. Then with the daughter of Noah, that failed. Then door of Flaga, and that failed. And finally, you began again with Avraham Avinu. God you want an opportunity to have a relationship with the world with your creation and you're doing that through B'nai Yisrael we are supposed to be the continuation of Ma'aseh B'Reshit and God what will be of all that investment that you had what will be of your relationship with your creation if you just destroy all these people what will be of the covenant with Abraham Yitzhak, and Yaakov <laughs> that you swore to them you swore to them that they would have a great nation. That you promised them that all of this land would be inherited by their progeny. And God immediately returns from the anger and from the ill intent that He had wanted to do to Bin Israel. So my question is, what did Moshe say that quote-unquote convinced God? Was it the content of his argument? I think it was less so the content of his argument. I don't think God needed to be convinced of anything that Moshe said. I think it was more about the fact that Moshe was saying it. We saw a similar thing in the time of uh, Noah. That In the, the beginning of the story, God wants to destroy humanity. Because he says that everything that humanity is thinking is evil all the day. And then later on in the story, God's reason for saving humanity is because because everything that he's thinking is evil. So it's okay, which is it? Are you going to save them because they're evil? Or are you going to destroy them because they're evil? So what's the difference in between? Well, the difference in between over there was Noah. God had a partner. God had a human being. Who was going to be a part of his plan in creation. He was going to be a part in his plan of how humanity is going to progress. And the second that God sees that he has a partner in creation. A partner in creating justice in his world. That's when God invests himself. All it takes is one guy. One colonel. One core group of people. Who are going to be able to spread blessing. And spread God's presence. Through everything that they do. So just know that when you find yourself in a time of crisis, you could be that island of, st- of stability. You could be that island and you could spread that stability to those around you. And you could be a positive influence in whatever is going on in your world. And we're going to see a very similar parallel which we'll get to soon with Moshe Rabbeinu and Noah as well. So Moshe now turns around, he goes down from the mountain Mount, and he has the tablets of stone in his hands they were written on both sides, and they were literally the product of God, and it was the writing of God, and I'm going to skip around a little bit here, but basically, Yeshua hears the noise, and Moshe, finally when he comes down from the mountain, what does he see? He, see, he sees, and Karavila Mahaneh. He sees what he cannot believe. He cannot believe his eyes. He sees a molten image regressing back to what we saw the Egyptians doing. (laughs) Moshe Moshe gets so angry. (laughs) He throws down the tablets of stone. (laughs) And he completely destroys them at the foot of the mountain. And what Moshe is doing here is expressing the way that God Kibyahol is feeling. He is a messenger of God. He is a kind of an emissary of God. So his job as a leader is to express the way that God is quote unquote feeling at this time. And for Bnei Israel to internalize this is of the utmost importance. Right? He he completely burns the molten image that they created. And he grinds it up, and he sprinkles it on the face of the water of Yashkat Israel, and he gives to Bnei Israel to drink. What does this remind you of? This is just like the ceremony of Sota. This is just like the ceremony in which, when a woman is suspected of cheating on her husband, she drinks a certain potion, and it it kind of is like the litmus test of whether or not she cheated on her husband. This is the same thing here Bnei Israel cheated on God. This is the litmus test. to to, to see what happened. Did we really cheat on God? According to the Midrash, those who sinned and those who cheated on God were the ones who died from this potion. Moshe cannot understand what led Aharon to decline the way that he did. How did he allow this to happen? And I think the answer is, well, Aharon didn't take enough of a strong stance. You know, it's very difficult to criticize on because we were not in his shoes. But it seems that in a time of crisis, you cannot be equivocal. You cannot be ambivalent about what's going on. You need to take a very firm stance against what's happening. You can't say, oh, let me delay. You can't say, let me try to appease the people. You have to make, take a very strong stance against evil and nip it at the bud. And that's unfortunately not what Aharon does. But we will see that Aharon still is in the favor of God. He's still a person that has a very prominent role in our religion. And he's a person that grows tremendously from this experience. And from the unfortunate experience of his children dying. But that's for another time. Vayomir Aharon, Ali says, Please Moshe, don't get angry at me. You know the tendencies of this nation it's for evil. He he says exactly what the people said. He says before I knew it, this egel came out. I didn't know how to stop it. We've all been there. We we've all been in our, in situations where we kind of saw things heading downhill. We didn't know how to stop it. Just like we feel right now. Vayar Moshe ta'am ki faru'ahu ki fara'oha haron nishim sabeka mehem. He sees the P'nei Israel are completely disheveled in everything that's going on here. Vayayamod Moshe b'sha'ra mahaneh v'yomir miladonai ilayhi v'yayasifu elav kol b'nei levi. The Levim gather around, I'm going to skip around a little bit here. The Levim kill all the people who were still involved in the Avodah Zarah. The next day, Moshe tells them, tells the people, listen, you have committed a tremendous sin. And now, maybe I'll be able to make up for all that you've done wrong. That's what it takes. You know, in a time of crisis, we have to see how can we fix the issues. How can we take a step back from what's going on and say, okay, how do we move on from here? And that's what Moshe is doing. He's taking a larger look. He's stepping back. He's saying, Wow, these people are completely disheveled. Everyone's in panic mode. How do we move on? He says, These people have made a tremendous sin. They made a tremendous this this molten image, he says, God, if you're gonna forgive them, then great. He says if you're not going to forgive them I don't want any part in your nation I cannot be part of your calculus God If you're not going to forgive them Because I am invested in these people As flawed as they are As panicky as they are As much as their tendency is towards evil Towards regressing back towards primitive ways When crisis occurs Just like we're seeing today I don't care, says Moshe. My lot is with them. I'm forever invested in humanity. I don't give up on them. No matter how bad things get, no matter how crazy people are acting, my job as a human being is not to just sit there and judge. It's not to sit there and mope and groan about how bad things are and how everyone's doing the wrong thing. My job is to be the solution. That's the uniqueness. Of what Am Yisrael stands for. That's what a Jewish person does. He doesn't look at evil and complain about it forever. You're allowed to complain to God. Please do complain to God. But once you're done complaining to God, let God look at you and say, Now what are you going to do about it? It happened so that you could respond to it. <laughs> Whoever sinned before me, he's going to suffer. You know what? There's going to be consequences for your actions. That's the way reality works. When you do evil, you get evil. That's the natural way of events in the world. And now God says, you know what? Try to handle this nation. And my angel will go before you. And when I decide to punish them, that's when they'll be punished. And eventually, God does punish Bene Israel. Now, I'd like to focus on what it is that Moshe gleans out of all of this. I think this is really the beautiful, the most beautiful part of our story, is because it doesn't just stop with the crisis. It doesn't just stop with all the craziness that happens with Bene Israel, but it continues on. And the highlight of this story is how Moshe responds. So let's continue reading about what Moshe learns about the very nature of the divine and of God from this very difficult situation. I think we could also learn things about God, about our spiritual selves, about our relationship with the divine from coronavirus. He says, Moshe, okay, get out of here, you and the nation. Again, that you took out of Egypt. Because they've distanced themselves from me. I want you to continue on to the promised land. Don't forget that you have a journey that you're still going on. As crazy as things seem. Never lose sight of that end goal. That I promised to Abraham Yitzchak Yaakov. I'm going to send before you my angel. And they're, and you know what? They're going to have some divine being with them. My messenger. But it's not going to be my direct presence with them. Because you're a stiff-necked nation, I cannot dwell in your midst. Lest I consume you on the way. Because when you're so involved with God, when you're so connected with God, one small move could really mean the end. What does that mean? That means that the higher you higher you get spiritually, the really I think the further you could fall. Because once you reach a certain level of your potential, there's so much potential of losing that. And I think that's exactly where Ibn Yisrael were at. We reached such a pinnacle. I think we were upper limiting ourselves. We were afraid. To achieve such a great level with God. We were, we were afraid to be so close to God. Like we said, we can't handle receiving the entire Ten Commandments from God's mouth. We needed Moshe as an intermediary and that's exactly what we did by creating and constructing this Egil. We couldn't handle a face-to-face interaction with God. And once we had that, we kind of forced ourselves into a situation where we would fall and we would fall hard. So now God is saying, you know what, I'm not going to allow for that falling so hard again. Because when, once you're on such a high level, that's when the opportunity comes to fall so hard. So now I'm going to create that separation between me and Bnei Yisrael. And now what Bnei Israel hear this news. They hear that God is separating himself to a degree from them. This evil thing. It's funny because he uses the same thing for the evil that they committed. So that's what happens. When you commit an evil action, God is going to separate himself from you in turn. And the people begin to mourn. And nobody wore their jewelry. Isn't that amazing? Well, we used our jewelry to create the Egil, and now as a sign of our mourning, we're no longer wearing our jewelry. It seems like we're beginning to understand the symbolism of what we did, and symbolically we're trying to step away from that tremendous and grave sin. And again, this is the third time God is repeating, B'nei Israel is a stiff-necked nation. If I'm with you for a second, because you're so stiff-necked and stubborn, you'll have to be destroyed, because that's the way the world works. You can't be stubborn, you have to be fluid with existence. When something rolls your way, if you're too stubborn, if you're too rigid, it's gonna just knock you down, and that's gonna be it for you. So a stiff-necked nation cannot be close to God. He says, "You know what? Good. Take off your jewelry, and I'll figure out what to do with you." Leave their jewelry off of themselves from that point forward. So it's really making a point here about the jewelry because it's so symbolic of what we did in terms of our sin. When you commit a sin, when you do something wrong, when you panic in a time of crisis, you need to step away from the source of that panic and you need to move on. And Moshe Rabbeinu now, as a sign of God's separating himself from B'nai Yisrael, he sets up, Ohel Moed, outside the encampment of Bnei Yisrael, the tent of meeting with God. And if you want to seek out God, you step out of the camp and you go to Ohel Moed. It's saying you still have an opportunity to seek out God, but it's not as close as it once was. It's not betoch It's not in the center of the, the encampment like it would have been once we were going to build the Mishkan. And when Moshe Rabbeinu would go and make that trek out to Ohel Moed, B'nai Yisrael would watch and they would stand in awe at Moshe's amazing level of spirituality. They wanted that. They craved that. And they looked at Moshe as he was approaching Ohel Moed. They would see the cloud of the divine descending upon Oil Moed, and God would speak to Moshe. Then Israel would see this pillar of cloud standing at the opening of Oil Moed, and everybody again would be standing. Moshe Rabbeinu was so close to God that he was speaking to God face to face. Which is pretty much to say, this is a man who had it. He's a man who was so connected with the Divine that it was obvious to everybody his connection. And everyone said, we have to be like him. We need to figure out a way to return to that level. We're, we're looking to Moshe Rabbeinu for guidance. Moshe's relationship with the Divine was so close, it was like that of a man to his friend. And he had his right hand man was Yoshua who of course becomes the next leader of the nation. And one thing I forgot to mention earlier, is that what was one of the issues? We saw B'nai Yisrael, everybody gathered upon Aharon, everyone gathered to commit this act of idolatry. And this act of regression. And we're going to see beautifully. In next week's parasha, the cure for that, the cure for everybody gathering is Is Moshe gathering the people? But this time the people are gathering not for evil, but for building the Mishkan. So it's pretty much telling you, you could flip any problem on its head. You could take a negative situation, you could really turn it into a positive situation for growth. And that's what we're going to see in the coming Pesukim. And here's the crux of the story. Moshe Moshe's conversation with with God now begins again. Says God, You told me to take this nation out of Egypt. You never told me you're gonna send with me. You promised me you're gonna know me by name and that you found favor in my eyes. Which means you you pretty much promised me, God, that we'll be so close that you and I would have this tremendous connection through it all, through all the crises. <inaudible> he says, God, if that's really true, if I really have found favor in your eyes, if it really is true that I grew spiritually enough to have you in my life, no matter what crisis arises, <inaudible> He says, God, I want to go one step further. I want to know how you operate. He says, I want to know you further so that I can find further favor in your eyes. There's no limit to the spiritual growth. It never stops. Even for a guy like Moshe Rabbeinu who received the Torah already, he's still looking for further spiritual growth. (coughs) He says, and I want you, God, to see that this is your nation. And God says, you know what, my face, my very presence will go and I, and it will all be good with you. You know, and God is being convinced here by seeing Moshe's dedication. God is saying, you know what, I'm not just going to send my angel. I'm not going to send the separation. Ben Israel really wants this. Moshe Rabbeinu, you're really invested in having my direct presence still be a part of this nation even after all that's happened? Because I see your dedication. Because you are the X-factor here, I'm going to reinvest, just like I did in the very beginning, to be fully involved with B'nai Israel. because I see that I have you as a partner for growth with B'nai Israel. says, good, you know what? Because if you're not going to personally go with us, then don't take us any further from here, because it's not worth it. It's only worth it if we could be directly connected to you, God. He says, God, you know what? But the truth is, how do I know that I've found favor in your eyes? Not just me, but me and the nation. Moshe keeps inserting the fate and the goral of the nation with his own fate. He keeps saying, not just with me, says Moshe. I don't want to just find favor in your eyes for myself. I want it to be the entire nation. So he starts with himself, and he continues on to the entire nation. aniv not just me, me and your nation, need to be unique. We need to be wondrous. amima adama. From all the nations, on the face of the planet, we need to, all of us, every member of B'nai Israel, be the people that understand God's uniqueness. And only then, can we really accomplish our goal that you set out for us, God? The goal that began with Abraham, Isaac and Yaakov. So Moshe started small. He began at the personal level. And he continued on to the national level. I think that's so true for each and every one of us. If we want to grow spiritually, we begin with ourselves. And that spiritual growth will multiply. And it will spread out unbounded to those around us. Like water flowing through a stream. That continues on and continues forward and and spreads to everybody else. Let's continue. God says, You know what? I'm going to do this for you as well. He says, Because you know what? You found favor in my eyes. And I know that because I have you to work with, I'm going to expand my plan to the entire nation. And I'm going to know you by name. And now Moshe asks the most audacious request that we've seen so far. He says, Please, God, show me your glory. He says, I'm going to pass by my glory in front of your face, Moshe. And I'm going to call out in the name of God before you. And he says, you know what? I'm going to have favor upon those who I'm going to have favor on. And I'm going to forgive those who I'm going to forgive. So Moshe, there's going to be certain things you're not going to understand about me. But you're going to get a glimpse. From your human perspective, you're going to receive something. God says, you know what? You're not going to see my face directly. You will never be able to fully comprehend Just because of the limited capacity of your human brain, you will never fully comprehend the infinity of the universe. The infinity of time and of space is so far beyond what we humans can understand that even Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't achieve that. Even through meditation, you will never fully comprehend what all of reality is all at once. Because it is so far beyond, so gloriously far beyond our comprehension. That we should just stand in awe of what reality is at its very core. (inaudible) Because man cannot see me and live. It is impossible for the human being, as he is right now, alive, as a physical being, to fully comprehend this. But you know what? We can get a glimpse. And that's what we're going to see with Moshe. God says, there's a place beside me here. Stand upon this rock. This sturdy rock. This sturdy rock that's on that, sta- that same mountain that you received the Torah. And when I pass by my glory, I'm going to place you In the crevice in the rock. And I'm going to pass by. And while I do that, I'm going to be covering you with my palm, so to speak. And for a second, says God, I'm going to remove my palm. And this is one of the most cryptic statements in the entire Torah. When I remove my palm and as I'm passing by, you shall see my back. You shall not see my face. What does this mean? It seems to me that this means that no matter what level of spirituality you get to, you will never fully comprehend all of God. But when you do achieve certain levels, you will get a glimpse of the amazingness of it all. And that will be enough. Because we're human beings, because we're limited. Because we cannot really wrap our heads around what we are, what we're doing here. What is going on in this situation, in this world of ours, not just during coronavirus, but ever. What is the human condition? What are we doing here on this planet? What is the meaning of life? These are questions that are so far beyond our comprehension that they're impossible to answer. But when we live our lives the way Moshe Rabbeinu did, when we meditate, when we dedicate ourselves to growing spiritually, we will get glimpses. And just like it comes with Moshe, it's going to come through investing in other people and investing in ourselves. Investing first and foremost in our own personal growth and then investing in having that personal growth spread like a light to those that surround us. Now we're going to see exactly what it was that Moshe Rabbeinu learned from God. <speaking in Hebrew> God says, I want you now. Because you've had this experience, we're going to start over. We're going to start new. Clean slate, literally. I want you to carve out two new tablets of stone. And I'm going to rewrite the Ten Commandments. And rewrite the covenant that was written on the first set of tablets that you destroyed, rightfully so. And I want you to be ready in the morning. You're going to be ready to go up to the mountain of Har Sinai in the morning. You're going to stand at the head of the mountain, top of the mountain, at its apex. And again, like, like Harambam says, this doesn't only mean physically ascending a mountain, it also means spiritually ascending the mountain of God through nevuah. Through prophecy. Nobody else is allowed to go up with you. Nobody else should be found there. This is your personal journey, Moshe. And that's where it begins for all of us, as a personal journey. Like Jordan Peterson says, clean your room. And then you could clean up the rest of the world. There shouldn't be anybody else. No people, no animals. Exactly as God says he takes the two new tablets of stone blank clean slates symbolizing a clean slate for the nation of Israel that's the amazingness of our human condition is that no matter how many times we fail there's always an opportunity to begin again and all it takes is is a person like Moshe, with the vision of beginning again. And as God had promised a second ago, He calls out in the name of God. And He stands with Moshe over there, whatever that means. And just like God had said, He passes by Moshe. And here are the attributes of God that Moshe had asked for. God is a merciful God, a God of great grace, a God who is slow to anger, and the God who is full of kindness and truth. This is the God who you're dealing with. You're not only dealing with the judge with the one who is scary in the sky. That's not who you're dealing with anymore. This is a new level and a new opportunity for understanding of what God is all about. And it only came about because of the crisis. It only came about because of the difficulty that B'nai Yisrael had to go through. You know what God does? He's, he's also slow to anger. He's also the one who is waiting to see will you fix your ways? I'm not going to smite you immediately. I'm going to wait to see if you correct the way that you behave because all it takes is one small correction and it launches you into a new potential for yourself. So God is this one who is caring about the thousands of generations and watching over their loving kindness. He's the person, He is the being who forgives and he removes sin Because people are able to start anew. But he doesn't completely forget about it. He doesn't give you a completely clean slate. If it was that severe. Because you know what? That's the way existence works. If you committed something that's so grave. And so evil. You cannot fully erase that. If you're a father and you own a bar in your home. And every day, you know, people come to your home and they have this culture of evil that's going on. The children are going to suffer. Even if you fix that, this is going to be ingrained in your children, the culture that they experienced. And that's going to carry on for generations. You know what? You could do some teshuva. You could fix it to some degree. But certain things sometimes in life are irreversible. All the more reason to do it right the first time. And that's why I gave the mashal of a father and a son. I think when it says that God visits the sins of the fathers upon the sons, it means that that's the way of the world. That children are going to learn from the evil ways of their fathers and they're going to eat the same uh, rotten fruits as their fathers did if they don't change their, the ways of their fathers. And now, experiencing all these attributes of God, Moshe immediately goes and he bows down before God. And what does he say? Something so amazing that it completely changes the trajectory of our nation forever. He says as follows, He says, God, if I have really found favor in your eyes, I want you to be directly involved. Why? Because B'nei Israel is a stiff-necked nation. It's like, what the heck is going on? This is the same thing we saw in Noah. In Noah, God wanted to destroy Bne, the, the world because they were evil. And then he saves them because of their evil. Same thing here. God wanted to destroy B'nei Yisrael because they were Amkeshe' Orif. And now Moshe's argument for saving B'nei Israel is also Amkeshe' oref It's also because of their stubbornness. So which is it? Is this a reason to save? Or is this a reason to destroy? And God, please forgive all of our sins. And God responds immediately, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. Because you broke the previous one, this is the new covenant. I'm going to create such wonders with you that have never been been seen before. No other nation has seen these levels of tremendous wonders and this is all coming about because of what we learned and what Moshe learned from this time of crisis and your entire nation is going to see How awesome is the actions of God that I'm doing with you right now So what could be going on here? I think it's the same lesson that we learned from Noah. I think God is, is showing Moshe because you invested yourself and because you put yourself in the same lot, in the same Godal as we saw for Bnei Israel. now I'm going to invest in Bnei Israel because I'm invested in you. Because I'm invested in the individual, I'm also going to be invested in what the individual is invested, says God. And if Moshe, you're telling me you're invested in the nation, I'm going to be invested in the nation as well because that's how God operates. He works through us. We are all the Malachim of God. We are all the angels of God. And Moshe Rabbeinu was, of course, no different. But I think there's an added element here. Moshe understood something that many of us, it takes a lifetime to understand this. And that is we could easily, if we really set our minds to it, we could turn that which led to our downfall, that which led to our failures. We could turn that into our greatest strengths, our weakest moments. Our points of real, you know, deficiency could be turned into the things that make us really the strongest. So for B'nai Israel, that was a tremendous thing. Being an Amkesh being a, stu- a stiff-necked nation, being stubborn could be very, very bad. It could mean that we're too rigid to get by in this world. It could mean that we cannot have an opportunity to get by with God in our midst. But you know what else it can mean? We could be stubborn for the good. We could be so stubborn that we refuse to give in to evil. We could be so stubborn that we never allow ourselves to veer off of the truth of God. So stubbornness is neither good nor bad. It's what you make of it. So whatever attributes you were given, whether it's shodaf, whether you're stubborn, whether you feel like you're lazy, whether you feel like you're not smart enough, or whatever it is you think is your weakness, All it takes is one small perspective shift to change that weakness into a strength. So I think now, with coronavirus, we're seeing a lot of the worst in people. We're seeing the panic. We're seeing a lot of people being very selfish. But it could also bring out our best. And there's a reason why this parasha, which is all about crisis, ends in some of the most spectacularly and gloriously spiritual ideas that we're seeing here. And the reason is because moments of crisis also serve as moments of tremendous opportunity. The sins that we make don't always have to be sins. They could be turned into mitzvot. They could be turned into real strengths for ourselves. So my blessing to you is during this tumultuous time, during this time of uncertainty, when we don't know what's going to be, when we're seeing those around us acting in a way that is not proper, we could take the opportunity to step up. We could be there for those who need us to be there for them. We could be the stability in the lives of those people who do not have stability. Give people a call when they need a call. We could you know, teach children over the phone if we want. We could give a phone call to the elderly. We could stay in our houses like we were commanded. And we could take this opportunity to really look deep inside ourselves and ask ourselves the question, what can I do more to make the situation just a little bit better and how can I grow and how can I help my community my nation my block whoever it is those people that I have an opportunity to have some degree of uh, influence over how can I help them grow alongside me so my blessing to you is that you'll take this opportunity not just as a crisis not just as a time of fear but also as a time of tremendous strength and tremendous blessing. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen.